And during the few moments that we have left, we want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. For the righty swinging Sanchez. Deep to left field. Fair ball. The game's over. See ya. A walk-off three-run home run for Gary Sanchez. The Yankees have come all the way back. And they're going to snap it. And it's Trey Burton who throws caught. Foles. Touchdown. With the 96th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, our Buffalo Bills select... Harrison Phillips, defensive tackle, Stanford. Yeah, baby, beat all those bills. Two men, one Vikings fan, one Bills fan, coming to you during a pandemic and delivering to you the Guys Like Sports podcast. Hi, I'm Curtis Henry. I'm here with my co-host, Michael Rose. Michael, we got a big episode planned. And uh, we have our first guest on the show today, Del Reed. How excited are you for that later on? Yeah, pretty fired up. First guest that we're having on the show and a, a good one to have for the first one. So looking forward to talking to Del and getting into that later on. Absolutely. And for those of you that don't know Del, Del is a philanthropist here in Western New York. He's raised... Uh, I think over $700,000 now for families uh, in this part of the state. And he does so through his company, 26 shirts. And he, he's just a, he's just a good person to know. He's the founder of the bills mafia. He's been really in the public eye since that took off in 2011. And we're really grateful to, to have him here today, but we got a lot of sports to get to first, which is bizarre because we got no actual sports, being played right now outside of Asian baseball. So UFC also on right now. UFC is on right now, which is kind of absurd in and of itself. In my opinion, I don't know what your take is on that, but exciting. I know that I enjoyed it earlier. Just the fact that they've been able to persist, I guess It, it makes sense because in UFC fights, we got fewer bodies than in any other sport. So if everybody tests, uh, negative on for COVID, they can persist, but it's still bizarre to me with with the travel and the logistics that go into it that the UFC has been able to persist. But the WWE is essential. UFC is still going on. It really, I guess, it just doesn't matter as long as there aren't fans, right, Mike? Yeah, pretty much. That's enough UFC. We got a big show planned for everyone today, and we're gonna start with Major League Baseball. Big story from today, Mike, CBS Sports broke that the MLB has an 80-game proposal for the 2020 season that's ready to be negotiated and planned between the MLB and the MLBPA. Initial thoughts before I get to general specifics, just based on what you know already. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see if they can get this nailed down, but I really hope they can. Yeah. I don't I <laughs> what level of optimism do you have that they actually agree to this? Give me a number, percentage based. Forty five percent. Wow, that's generous. I I would give the MLB a twenty percent chance of getting this done. So I'm gonna run through the general specifics. Forty five percent chance it gets passed, 
I would give it about a 15% chance of us making it through the 80-game season on Skate. You see, I'm going to go even lower than that. I'm going to go 20% against past 5% chance that this is what actually happens for the MLB in 2020. So the general specifics, right? 80-game season. It would begin early in July, preferably July 1st. That's the best-case scenario. And teams would play two divisions for the entire year. So the teams would play their own division. If you're the Yankees, you're playing the AL East. And they would play the same division in the opposite league. So if you're playing the AL East, you're playing the NL East. And the purpose for this is to only face your teams within your same geographic uh, region and, and to mitigate the travel that's necessary to play the season. And this alone seems fundamentally like a good idea. However, we get into some logistical problems. So we're looking at games in home stadiums with no fans. So all 30 stadiums in the league would be in use. And we're looking at expanded playoffs. And we're also looking at roster sizes increasing because the feeling is right now that there is going to be no minor league baseball played in 2020. So to prevent all of those players from being out of work, there is a possibility in place for rosters to be expanded to up to 50 players from 26, 50 players, so that guys playing AAA and AA ball could have the chance to play in 2020. Let's talk logistics. There's a lot to unpack here. What do you think about this, Mike? Well, first, let's start with the idea that, you know, you play your division and then the opposite league, same geographical division. Because in theory, sounds like a great plan. And so you take into account that some of these divisions aren't exactly very geographical. So, like, when you look at the AL East, that ranges, just those five teams range from Toronto, Canada, to Tampa Bay, Florida. That is quite a wide range on the map there, for to call that, you know, geographical. <laughs> so I feel like... uh not maybe uh, the best way you could set it up. I mean, I guess it's the best way in terms of maintaining normalcy within the divisions, but if we're going to play these things in home stadiums, that just that, that's the first thing that jumps out to me immediately is that these, you know, it, you can take the AL West. We got two teams in the state of Texas, and then we have a, a team in Seattle and two teams in California. Like those, we're not going to pretend like those are all right next door to each other. It is like a 10-minute drive. Those are... Those are pretty pretty lengthy distances that we're traveling here. So uh, just seems like maybe not necessarily as ideal there as maybe they had in mind originally when they came up with this idea. Yeah, and you would think that beyond the divisions, there would be a way to cut this more geographically, um, kind of throwing the league structure out the window of it, because there's not really any reason to have Toronto and Tampa Bay in the same division playing each other with this format, but not have Toronto and Detroit in the same geographical region. The drive from Toronto to Detroit is like three hours. It's like three hours. Like it's not long to go through Canada to get to Detroit, Michigan. So I don't understand why you can't use some common sense here and just kind of disband the divisions altogether if you're so focused on having teams play at their home stadiums. And additionally, let's talk about Toronto. Canada right now has a 14-day quarantine period for anybody who's entering the country. 
and you're telling me that we're going to get teams with now 50-man rosters instead of 26 into Canada for a weekend to play a three-game series and then out of Canada. How? How the hell is that going to work, Mike? How? Tell me. Tell me things. Tell me. I mean, one, we would need the 14-day quarantine lifted by then. Like, there, there's no way it works going to Canada if there's still a 14-day quarantine that's required. Like, you can just stroll that out the window. That kills the whole plan as it is, unless Toronto's not going to play in Toronto. Like, that's the only way that works. And then, you know, if you just look at these again, you know, I, and I understand from the LB's point of view, you don't want to disband your entire divisions because you want – because if you have to really upend the whole division structure, in my opinion, it's – I don't even know if it's worth playing a season because you're not going to get a legitimate champion on the other side of this thing. So I, I think they have to find a way where they can keep it safe but also keep it where the games have legitimate meeting. Otherwise, we're going to have, you know, another champion with an asterisk in MLB. And I can tell you, baseball doesn't need any more champions with asterisks next year. Yeah, and my, my suggestion is look at the teams that if you're trying to have teams, you know, exist in their current divisions. Look at teams like Toronto. Where can they play? How about Buffalo, New York? Toronto has a triple-A team called the Buffalo Bisons. They can move to Buffalo, New York to play their home schedule this year. And then we don't have to deal with a Canadian quarantine and whether or not that's been lifted, right? Isn't that a feasible solution? We have the farm system in the MLB in place. There has to be a way to get these teams closer together by using the minor league stadiums. Wouldn't, wouldn't you agree? That just makes sense to me, and I don't know if yeah, I'm just... I mean, that's a that's a good idea. I mean, the only thing that's going to be tricky in some cases is that there's some teams that don't have a, a quality minor league facility that's actually nearby. Because, um, like, if we're just being honest, like, Buffalo, you could play in Buffalo and that would probably work, but not every team has their AAA team super close by. And if we're start going down to double A facilities, those are probably not up to par to host major league games, uh, in my opinion. So that's where it would get a little tricky. But there isn't that many teams I don't think that you would have to move around for the most part as long as there's not another outbreak in any areas. You know what I mean? So obviously mm-hmm. in Toronto, you would have to get away from Toronto. But if there's not a COVID outbreak in any areas, everybody else for the most part, should be able to stay where they are and it should it should fly okay for the most part I think. going back just to using the minor league facilities one i don't think it's a detriment to be using minor league facilities you know if there's not going to be fans and there's not going to be fans at this point i think we can come to common ground and agree on that so a team my, my argument wasn't just you know put toronto and buffalo because a, it's close, and B, Buffalo's in the United States, so that'll make it easier. I'm talking geographically. A team like Tampa Bay, if they're going to remain in the AL East, fine. But they shouldn't play their games at Tampa Bay. And I get the, I get the logistics that make it difficult to take players away from their homes, but with regard to the travel issue – Tampa Bay has minor league affiliates in Charlotte. They have minor league affiliates in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and they have uh, minor league affiliates in Durham, South Carolina, or North Carolina, excuse me. 
all of which are way closer to the rest of the AL East than Tampa Bay. So I understand what you're saying here in terms of proximity. Yes. The couple problems that come into play is, A, you can't take some teams and move them away from their families and not others. Because I think that that's not going to fly with those players of those teams that are like, you know, why do I have to get up and move to Bowling Green, Kentucky? Well, the Yankees get to sit up in New York City in their, their homes with their families. And, and two, <laughs> the other issue is, again, what I was saying with these minor league facilities, there you know, all these stadiums have different dimensions that in some cases are just not playable for a major league team. So the proximity sounds great, but is the Bowling Green Stadium up to par with major league standards to be usable? Are the facilities up to the standards to be usable for major league games? These are the questions that would come into play with these if if this was an idea that they wanted to float around that I, I don't know if they would fly. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. Just, just for reference, like the single-A stadium for Tampa Bay, Bowling Green, their field is 318 feet out to left, 326 feet out to right, dead center is 400. So it's literally bigger than Yankee Stadium. So as long as we don't have any polo grounds, single-A stadiums laying around with 250-foot porches, I don't think the dimensions piece is really that big of an issue. But I think your, your valid argument there is definitely consistency with Team X, whether it's Tampa Bay or Houston, has to up and leave versus New York and Boston get to stay. You know, that's and it's it's also that's not overall facility. It's not necessarily just a bunch of the field. What what kind of grass and what kind of dirt do we have there? You know, some some fields have wacky outfields. Are are, are those going to be okay for a major league stadium? The clubhouses and that kind of thing. These are all things that are going to have to be taken in perspective if you want to use a minor league stadium. And quite frankly, a lot of these minor league stadiums are not going to be usable for major league teams i don't think are you speaking on behalf of batavia (laughs) like batavia there's zero shot they could ever host a major league game there let's just be real and especially if we're talking about 50 man rosters all of a sudden too a major league clubhouse can fit 50 guys bowling green kentucky's not fitting 50 guys in their clubhouse there's just zero shot that that's feasible Uh, i agree it's just what do we do this 80 game proposal that's coming into place I just don't think it can happen. I don't think you can have teams traveling from New York to Tampa Bay and back to you, back again in the same week. How often are we going to get these guys tested if they're traveling that much? You know, you well, know what I mean? And I think it's, it's been pretty clear from all of the major sports leagues that testing would have to be very much readily available for any of these proposals to really be realistic. And it sounds like most of these leagues, and a lot of these leagues are in contact with our federal government, uh, for the most part, seem to believe that wide-range testing will be available by June or July area. So if that's the case, like, for example, the UFC card that we were just talking about a little while ago, every fighter on the card, you know, is getting tested. So we're getting there, and we are making progress in terms of wide-range testing. Obviously, there's a lot more guys on a major league team than in a UFC card. You know what I mean? But Yep we're making progress in that regard. And so if you can get to that point and the testing is there, especially, you know, in some cases you can kind of, you can group them together. You know what I mean? Like there's just using the, the American league and NL East, for example, you know, there's two teams in Florida, there's two teams in New York city. 
So if you kind of group these these trips together that you go to these stadiums, I think that'll also help that a lot as well. That's fair. I just find it hard to believe that this is going to work. And I don't know if that's me being a pessimist. Generally, I like to be optimistic about outlooks. I think baseball has probably the best chance to succeed out of any of these leagues because of the format in which the games are played in series where you can keep teams in a spot for a few days. Um, But, and, you know, maybe with an 80-game season, we're moving to five-game series instead of two, three, or four. You know what I mean? So, with that being the case, this might be a lot more feasible than I'm perceiving it to be. Yeah, you know what? That, that's another thing. They could, theoretically, you could group all of the games. Let, let's just use the Yankees as our example because that's what we've been doing throughout this thing. Just take, you know, all of the games the Yankees are going to play in Boston. Just do them all at once. Then go back to New York City, you know, whatever you're going to do, and just play all of the games against that opponent in that park all at one time. That that also, you know, decreases how much testing you need if they're staying in an area for a week at a time. So so there's ways to make it work. It, they're going to have to be very creative. And the one biggest hang-up that I, I mentioned to Curtis before we came on is that in this proposal, the MLB is going to want players to take another pay cut. So that's really going to be the biggest hang-up on this whole thing because the players will sign off on probably anything else on here except I'm getting less money. Yeah, because they've already taken a pay cut and – Really, I think it's going to come down to how stingy the owners are going to be because if we're being real, the owners are in every sports league this year are going to take some sort of financial hit because we're not going to have fans in stadiums and we're not going to have the revenue from fans in stadiums. So it's going to be difficult for owners to take a bite of humble pie and acknowledge that they're not going to get their typical – 50 to 60 percent cut that they get from the revenue because the revenue is not going to exist you know so and that's that's a problem in every league not just baseball you know i would assume so i agree with you that that's probably the biggest hang up one more interesting note with a shorter schedule the mlb does want to expand the playoff format for this year so instead of five teams they said well 80 games isn't enough to get a clear playoff picture uh instead of five teams we want there, I think the proposal had six or eight. I believe it was seven. And this seven. Is, and if we're being honest, this is just uh, Rob Manfred backdooring his proposal for the playoffs that nobody liked that he put out three months ago into the COVID solution. I'm very upset about it. So you think this would actually be a permanent solution after a trial run? Rob Manfred wants it to be a permanent solution. So I think this is just his way of making it be a test run. This, This is, I mean – this is a perfect time for him to be like, let's just, you know, test this out. And everybody will let it slide because they just want to play baseball again. And then Rob Manfred will be like, this worked great. Let's keep it forever. And that's what's going to end up happening. And I hate Rob Manfred. That wasn't something I had considered, but realistically, you're absolutely right. As far as Manfred trying to pass another rule change in the sport of professional baseball. And that's definitely a sneaky way of doing it. So we talked a little bit about logistical problems right? We're going to shift. We're going to talk about the NBA and NHL. Shaquille O'Neal today says, you know, at this point, NBA, they need to scrap the season. At this point, there isn't any hope. We need to focus on 2020, 2021 and how that's going to look. With regard to the NBA and NHL, 
I think the same barriers exist regarding Canada having a franchise in Toronto and the NBA, having seven franchises in the NHL in Canada, and travel for the players. What do you think about Shaquille O'Neal's comments and what the NBA slash NHL should be doing moving forward? I mean, I just think they have no shot, really. Like, the MLB, you know, you said it, they're they're in as good a position to succeed as anybody, and part of the reason they're in a good position to succeed is because they have time. And that's also what the NFL has. They have time. The NBA and NHL do not have time on their sides. At some point, we're going to reach a date here very, very soon with the next month or so where they're going to have to make a call one way or the other or they're going to end up canceling the 2021 season or shortening the 2021 season. Because you you just don't only have so much time because both these leagues are still going to have to run a draft, have free agency, and then have their training camps and their preseasons and then start their next season again. It, it's just no way that they're going to be able to finish. The, both these leagues have not started their playoffs yet. They didn't even finish their regular seasons when this all ended. I don't know how you would, especially, you know, in both these leagues, there's some tightly contested playoff races happening at the bottom of these mm-hmm. standings. And, you know, especially in the case of the NHL, because it doesn't happen as often in the NBA, the NHL, an eight seed can win the Stanley Cup in the NHL. Yeah. It's happened. So you can't just say, well, whatever the standings were when we ended is just just what we're going to put in. So they would have to come up with some sort of extended playoffs, which is just going to take even longer. Like, there's just, there's just no way I can envision either of these leagues finishing. Okay, so there's a couple points I want to make here. One, in the NHL, the range of outcomes is so much wider because the number that you're scoring is so reduced. When you're scoring three to four times per game on average each team – there is a wider margin of error present with each goal. So a puck bouncing off a post has a much bigger implication in the NHL than a basketball bouncing off the back of the rim. And that's how eight seeds go far. That's how one seeds like Tampa Bay get swept in the first round. Like it happens, not, not to be jabbing Mike too much about the Tampa Thanks, Bay Lightning, but, <laughs> but, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, that's, that's the numbers behind it is the fact that in the NHL, one or two goals makes the game, right? In basketball, you don't have that same urgency over each opportunity to score because you have 100 processions roughly per game. So when you look at logistics of the NHL playoffs, I think that, yes, you need to have some sort of conclusion to the the season. I think the NBA, the problem is not you know, if they were to cut the season short today. I think the NBA's only issue is that they have some teams that have played 63 games and some teams have played 67. They need to get every team to 67 games before they start the playoffs. And then they can start the playoffs from there. So you can do that in either league and start the playoffs. And I think there's less of a problem as far, from an equity standpoint. But I think in the NBA – you will need to have a shorter playoff series. Like, I think the NBA could pass a three- or a five-game series per round and proceed like that with the playoffs. So you have, you know, three games out in the Eastern Conference first round, the Eastern semis, the Eastern finals, and NBA finals. In the NHL, I'm not sure that a, a shorter set is going to happen because the range of outcomes is so much bigger. In those underdog teams don't want only three games. You know what I mean? Like that's a less, that's a smaller sample size to get it right. So if 
the top dog's team goes up 2-1, one seed and eight seed matchup, the eight seed's still really in that series. But if you only have a three-game series, then they're done. And in the NHL, eight seeds persist a lot more frequently than in the NBA. So I think the NBA can trim the playoffs and have that as an option, but the NHL doesn't share that same luxury. And I don't know if you agree or disagree on that point, um, but that's about where I'm at. And I would say right now it's going to be – you, you said we had about a month until we're to the point of no return on whether or not these seasons can be finished. I think it's even less time than that. I think June 1st, if we don't have a clear picture of states reopening and what public guidelines and relations are happening, how much testing is available, how, what treatments are available, where we're at with the vaccine, like June 1st, these leagues are going to have to make a decision because June 1st is within, you know, four months of the 2021 season starting at that point. So I just don't know how it's getting done. Yeah, I think they have till about the middle of June just based on what these leagues have been saying and how how much wiggle room they have to push things back and things of that nature. But I think uh, in another underrated note in the NHL with you know how they want to play out this whole thing if they cancel the season, the NHL is expanding after next season. They are adding another team. And the guidelines on which that expansion draft work are based in how many – years are a guy's been in the NHL and how many years he's played on a team and you know how many years are gonna be left on these guys contracts if we don't finish the season and things of that nature so that's a whole nother nightmare that the NHL is going to have to sort out when they get to that expansion draft but just going back to your point about the shorter playoff series I think uh people forget the NBA first round used to be five games anyways I think you could probably get away with some shorter NBA series I think they could come up with something where they go like three games in the first round and then maybe five the rest of the way, kind of like a a shorter version of the way it used to be where they went five and then seven the rest of the way. The NHL, I think you could get away with going to five-game series. It's not ideal. Like you said, the the range of outcomes and all the things uh, of that nature in the NHL. But I think you're going to have to expand the NHL playoffs if you're going to execute them. I think you're just going to have to put more teams in. So are you suggesting that we have – uh, a full league slate or are you suggesting that we have 10 teams instead of eight teams and then we have you know a seven through ten first round where we play play-in games similar to MLB wildcard games like what's what would that look like to you yeah I don't know I mean it's definitely going to depend on I mean just look I'm just looking at the NHL standings right now I think you could probably get away with 10 and not have major gripes but, I mean, even then, it's not not ideal, obviously. None of this is ideal. But I think 10 is probably the, the magic number here. Maybe even 11. If you did 11 and gave the number one seed a bye uh, in each conference. But, once again, the NHL playoffs are so convoluted in their setup that teams play within their divisions in little four-team quadrants. So, they would have to get rid of that whole format, I think, for this to work as well. So, really, the NHL has just so many little rules that they have to worry about that their playoffs with COVID are just a logistical nightmare of how they set these things up. There's a 0% chance that the NHL playoffs with COVID-19 can resemble anything like they would normally resemble. Like, that's just the bottom line here. I don't know how it's going to happen. And I think that the bigger logistical nightmare is that they have seven franchises in Canada. 
and a lot of those teams are going to qualify for the playoffs. So how (laughs) realistically, when would the playoffs have to begin for this to get in this season? Like August at the latest. So here's, here's where we have some positive news, at least talking about the franchise from Canada. The Ottawa Senators have absolutely no chance of the playoffs. They weren't going to get any to finish the season. The Montreal Canadiens, very outside shot of making the playoffs, okay? So the rest of the teams that are going to make the playoffs that are Canadian franchises are all in the Western Conference. So if we could th- – there is a scenario. What about Toronto? Toronto is not in the West. Oh, and, well, okay, so Toronto is the, the one outlier here. So that's going to be the one that's tricky. Other than Toronto, everybody that's going to make it is in the West. Based on the regular NHL playoff format that would take place, two of those teams would be playing each other. Keep that, that would be good. I think what it comes down to is if you extended to a 10-team playoff, you would have four Western Conference Canadian teams. And I think you would just have to – I don't know how there's a way you could get them to all play each other, but you you would have to try and find a way to get them to play each other. Or, or maybe, like, takes a traditional quadrant thing, like the format the they have now. The quadrant thing has to go. Well, well, if you're incorporating the Canadian teams in one, maybe one of those quadrants could just be the Western Conference Canadian teams for the sake of travel. And that, you know, takes that worry out of the equation. And I then, mean, I think, the, I think the real issue is just the, uh, the competitive unbalance that brings because, I mean, quite frankly, the Canadian teams all suck. I'm just going to be real blunt about this. None of these teams are really that good, which is really – But in the <laughs> NHL playoffs, that doesn't matter. Right. But I think the issue is is that you're just going to have – if you put them all in the one quadrant, hypothetically speaking, based on the regular playoffs, only three of them – only four would have got in, three in the last. So you, you would have had three of them in one quadrant anyways, and the other one would have been Vegas. So, I mean, I guess you could – if you just kept the regular format – you would have three Canadian teams in one quadrant, at least. I just don't know how you get in and out of Las Vegas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a nightmare. It's a nightmare. I'm so glad this isn't our decision to to make here. It's just a. It's fascinating. I think there are. I live for creative problem solving, right? And when I'm at the office, that's that's something I really enjoy doing here in student affairs. That's why I'm getting my master's. I live for creative problem solving i would never in a million years want to creatively problem solve this (laughs) because what do you do mike and we didn't even talk about toronto which there's there's no other canadian teams that are gonna make the playoffs in the eastern conference so i just i have no idea what you would do with them at that point yeah they're just the outlier you would have you would have to find a way in and out of canada and like is toronto playing in buffalo is that the solution like I don't know because Buffalo is not making the playoffs. Right. I mean, I guess theoretically that's the, the closest one. And I guess that would make some sense. And, and the worst part about this is based on the NHL current format, Toronto would be playing Tampa Bay. So if you want to talk about, we talked about, you know, a three game series, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay Rays and Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, How about a seven game playoff series of the lightning and Maple Leafs? That that's just a disaster right now. Yeah. Especially if they're going two, two, one, one, one. That's which, terrible. Which is what the format is normally. That's so terrible. Just, there's just no, there's just no way I can see these seasons being resumed. And if they do find a way to resume the MLB and NHL seasons, whoever comes up with the idea for it deserves a a gigantic raise. 
So I think the person in the NBA who would be coming up with the idea is Adam Silver because he's probably the best commissioner in any of the major sports, in my opinion. I don't know if you share that. But yes, 100%. I, like, I can see Adam Silver maneuvering this with some success. I get Gary Batman zero shot of doing this. And part of it is part of it's just the logistical layout of the NHL. Like having seven teams in Canada, five of them making the playoffs, it's just going to be a nightmare. For the sake of time, we need to move on. Any closing thoughts with scheduling? Can you give me a number, a percentage, because that's our theme so far on the show, a percentage chance in which the NHL and NBA finish their seasons with the playoffs and crown a champion? 2.5%. 2.5%. For each league? Oh, I, uh, I would give the NHL a 1%, and I'll give the NBA a 5%. So I will give the NHL a 0% chance. I will give the NBA a 21% chance. Wow, you're awfully generous there. You realize a 21% chance is still 1 in 5. Like, you're missing out 4 out of 5 times. Like yeah, that's, <laughs> that's much higher than I would have been. <laughs> so we're moving on. You want to talk some football, Michael? Let's talk what? happier optimism stuff here. Let's talk about scheduling that has happened in the form of the NFL schedule release. I want to jump in, and since you're a Vikings fan, I'm a Bills fan, let's talk a little bit about our Homer teams. And what notes do you have for me on the Viking schedule? What do you like? What do you don't like? And how are Mike Zimmer and company going to weather the storm this year in Minnesota? Well, first of all, the close of this season is just some absolute nonsense. Got going to Tampa Bay, then hosting the Bears, and then closing at New Orleans on Christmas on a Friday. Who in the world scheduled that thing? And then at Detroit. That just, that just stinks. I hate that. Um, the first six games of the season are incredibly tough. Three at home, three on the road, and four of four of these six teams? Three of these six teams – no, hold on. Four of these six teams made the playoffs last year. Indy was right there if Jacoby Brissett doesn't get hurt. And then Atlanta just had a bunch of injuries, and it was a nightmare for them. And they're, they're not great, but they're competitive. And they they're talented, forward. yeah. Right, they got some talent. So that's the first six before the bye week. What I do like is from the bye week to about week 13, that's a really generous part of the schedule. They need to win almost all of those, I would say. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky schedule. I don't like the the early season veteran quarterbacks, starting with Aaron Rodgers and Phillip Rivers. That's not ideal for a very young secondary uh, that Minnesota's rolling out this year. And, really, the first six weeks they play some really good quarterbacks, Rodgers, Rivers, Tannehill, Watson, Wilson, and Matt Ryan. They, they don't really play a bad quarterback until week 10 when they're at the Bears. It's not going to be easy for Minnesota this year. It, it just won't be. I still like them to win probably like 10 games. And oh, like, super talented squad. I think they killed the NFL draft, and I think they have a good coach in Zimmer. Um, and, and when you have a quarterback in the NFL like Kirk Cousins, he's not great, but he's going to keep you in ball games. So the Vikings, as long as they're not beating themselves, should have a chance to to perform this year and be be a playoff team in the NFC. Like they yeah, they've been a perennial as, team in the playoffs. I think as long as they're not going into the bye week at like 2 and 4, like if they go into the bye week at like even at 3 and 3, you're feeling feel good. really good about what they have out of the bye week. So I, I mean if they go into the bye week at 4 and 2 or 5 and 1 or if I'm feeling real optimistic 6 and 0, oh, that's not going to happen, but if they can go in at like 4 or 2, 5 and 1, 
I, I feel really good about what they, they have coming down the stretch. And then, you know, who knows? Maybe they got some confidence rolling into that Tampa Bay game, split those Tampa Bay and New Orleans games. All of a sudden, you're looking at 12-1 season. But if they go to the bye week at like one and five, then it's a disaster. And I'm going to be crying for the entire week seven bye week. Sensational. So let's shift and we'll talk Buffalo Bills a little bit. So the Bills have the NFC West and the AFC West as the two divisions they're playing this year outside of the AFC East, which obviously is an ideal when you have teams like the Los Angeles Rams, the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the Arizona Cardinals, Seattle Seahawks, San Francisco 49ers, Los Angeles Chargers, Denver Broncos. That's a gauntlet of competitive football teams. So positive news for the Bills. These are spaced really, really well throughout their schedule. The Bills have a really easy beginning and ending to their schedule, and I think that's what I look for a lot when I take my initial glance at schedules after the schedule release. The Bills start out home to New York, the Jets, and then on the road against Miami. That's huge because New York Jets, I think it's a talented football team, but I don't trust Adam Gase to finish the season at the Jets head coach. I think he's terrible. I think he's going to get fired midseason. So the New York Jets, week one at home, that's big. You follow that up with a trip to Miami, a team that was horrid last year. They started 0-7. Flores did a good job getting them to 5-11 and to close out the season. They have a lot of young talent, but the possibility of a rookie quarterback starting, you know, there's going to be some growing pains in Miami this year. The Bills get those two divisional games to start, and they finish their last four with Pittsburgh, Denver, New England, and Miami again. And to me, that's not bad. All four of those are winnable games. The Steelers should be much improved with Big Ben back in the fold. The Patriots still have Belichick, but I think you and I both agree the Patriots probably aren't going to be a good football team this year. Their roster is full of holes. They didn't do well with the NFL draft. They don't have cap space to go out and get free agents or trade for people. So they're in a tough spot. Their roster is aging. They don't have a quarterback. Okay? Denver, Denver's a curious team to me. Denver Broncos are going to go as far as Drew Locke takes them. So that could be 9-7, and 10-6. and six. I think we're in agreement that they have enough talent on that roster, especially with what they did to address skill positions in the offseason particularly through the NFL draft, but Denver is kind of, eh, you know, it's a safe bet that they're going to hover around 500. And then we have the Dolphins to close out the season. So Buffalo weeks five, week five is when it starts getting tough. They go on the road at Tennessee. They have Kansas city week six and then week seven and eight, they have a couple, you know, winnable football games in the division. Again, they're at the jets. They're home to the Patriots week nine. They host Seattle, which is going to be a tough game. I would bet on the Bills losing to Seattle at home. And then they go out to Arizona for week 10, and their bye week is week 11. One thing I love for the Bills is that the three West Coast teams that they host at home, all of those games start at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So that's a 10 a.m. start time for the West Coast teams, notoriously difficult for everybody except the Seahawks. So the fact that you have the Rams, Chargers, and Seahawks coming into Buffalo, and the fact that those games start at 1 p.m., makes me a happy camper and the bills got four prime time games which has not happened in a season since 1996 mike and buffalo is going to be wild during those home games i think uh 
quick list. Home to Pittsburgh on Sunday Night Football. At San Francisco on Monday Night Football. At New England on Monday Night Football. Their last one is going to be home to the Chiefs. And the game against the Chiefs, I like that a lot because the Bills are at home on a short week. And I think it's always difficult to win in the NFL when you're traveling for a Thursday night game. So, really excited. I think the Bills, for the first time in a long time, did not get the shaft when it came to the schedule release. All right, let me play devil's advocate. For one, the Rams are already going to be on the East Coast before they play that Week 3 game against the Bills. So, the 1 p.m. start, probably not going to matter as much as you think. That was my first note from you. Uh, Two, the opening and the closing of the season for the Bills – I agree. It, it works out pretty favorably. However, A, a lot of those tough games are all now jammed right in the middle of this thing. And B, I don't think it's as easy as you make it out to be because the Bills really probably should have lost to the Jeff last year in week one. If, if C.J. Mosley doesn't get hurt and Sam Darnold doesn't have mono, I think the Jets probably win that game. So, you know, I'm not ready to, you know, start the parade. I've seen pictures all day on Twitter of Josh Hale Allen having the Lombardi trophy in his hand. You see, that's crazy. I'm not, not going to be that crazy guy. Yet. I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not ready to send the Bills to the Super Bowl. But I think the schedule, given the divisions they played, the draw was not too bad. However, given the divisions they played, the schedule is definitely not easy. Oh, it's so, not a cupcake at all. But given the yeah. teams that they're playing, I feel like in years past, week 13 on for Buffalo would have been San Francisco, Seattle, New England with Tom Brady, and then Pittsburgh and Kansas City to close the season. Like, that that's the schedule that it seems like the Bills have played for the last 10 years down the stretch, with the exception of the Dolphins and Jets getting thrown in in December, well, inevitably. By week, they do still have the Chargers, the Niners, the Steelers, the Broncos. I think all those games are very tough games. you got to go to New England on a Monday night. You know Belichick's going to bring it. And as much as I think the Patriots are a god-awful roster – they do still have one thing going for them. They have a great secondary, and they got a great coach. And those two things could be enough for them to stay in a, a low-scoring game with the Bills. And if they're there late in a low-scoring game, Bill Belichick might be able to find, a, a you know, whether it's a blocked punt like we saw last year against the Bills mm-hmm. or a, a James White or Julian Edelman pass or some sort of punt return or whatever other – garbage that Belichick just pulls out randomly in these games every year he could find a way to steal one there and then you close the season week 17 in my uh at home against Miami and I think the only thing I don't like about that for the Bills is I think the Miami team you're going to play in week two is going to be a lot different than the Miami team you play in week 17 absolutely especially if Tua Tugavailoa is the starting quarterback I don't I don't disagree but there's there's also some bad and it's it's going to be interesting but I've said it all along, the Bills are going to go as far as Mr. Josh Allen can take them. I am not a believer that Josh Allen can take them very far, but we'll see what they can do. If Josh Allen goes 11-5 and five or better against this schedule, will you have a changed opinion on Josh Allen? See, but there's a lot of variables in that because the Bills could go 11-5 and five and Josh Allen could still look like garbage. They went 10-6 and six last year, and I thought the guy stunk. We'll see. We'll see about it. I'm. So, I, I, we got to see. It's it's a matter of I got to sit. I got to watch the games. What does Josh Allen look like? If they go eleven and five and they win every game fourteen to ten because their defense is just so good. I mean, what does that actually tell me about Josh Allen? Not really all that much, right? Like, 
That's valid. I think for the sake of time, we have to move on. Buffalo Bills, I think the fans should be happy with how the schedule broke. That's my closing thought. Do you have anything you want to say about the Bills uh, to our friends at home? Uh, I mean, you're all you're all psychotic and have already played in your Super Bowl parade, so you might as well just keep riding that wave until you get this one. <laughs> I'm not that sociopathic. I don't think the Bills should be favorited to win the Super Bowl. I think we're looking at another playoff run. I think, fingers crossed, the Bills will be playing a home playoff game in January. But let's move on. Let's move on. And we'll talk the most exciting matchups that we found throughout the schedule. I'll give you mine to start. No surprise here. Kansas City, Baltimore in week three. That's not fair because you, you picked the easiest one on the entire It's game. the easiest one to pick, and I love it, Michael. I love it. It's the playoff game we didn't get to see last year. It's the last two MVPs pitted against one another. It's last year's best regular season team against the team that won the Super Bowl. Mahomes-Jackson, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a high-scoring game. It could be reminiscent of the KC – Los Angeles game that was played a couple of years ago between the Chiefs and the Rams. I'm in love with this matchup on Monday Night Football. I think this is going to be the game of the year. And another exciting matchup, also containing the Kansas City Chiefs, opening night, Thursday Night Football against the Houston Texans. I am fired up about this that? game. I am fired up. Obviously, the Texans botched the offseason, right? We, th- we can agree Bill O'Brien's a trash bag as a general manager. But the Texans still have a competitive roster. They were a playoff team last year. And this is a team that went in again as a city in January and blew a 24-0 lead. So I think the Texans are going to have a chip on their shoulder. I don't think they're going to Kansas City and winning that game. But I think they're going to compete their butts off and it's going to be a really good way to start the season so i'm excited about it obviously opening right is always they're gonna lose that game by 20 i'm just i'm just gonna put that on the right they're gonna lose that game by 20 i disagree they have can i just ask you a question can you how many members of the houston Texans secondary can you name me oof gg kansas city one and all so uh, if you can't name me a single member of the Texas secondary and they gave up, what, 40-plus to the Chiefs in that playoff game, yeah, good luck with that one. It's going to be a ring night. No, you got no shot. That's over. Uh, so let's talk about a really obscure game that I shouldn't be excited about, but I am. Okay, ready for this one? Is it the Vikings versus the Bears or something? No, I'm never excited to play the Bears. I hate the Bears. The San Francisco 49ers on the road in Week 7 against the New England Patriots. Let me tell you why. Because there's been a lot of talk about Jared Stidham replacing Tom Brady. But in but, reality, the guy we're going to compare Jared Stidham to is not Tom Brady. But Jimmy Garoppolo. Supposed to replace Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo. And so those two going head-to-head, I think that's an intriguing matchup. Plus, that's a great, you know, if you're, if you're a nerd out there, Kyle Shanahan, Bill Belichick, great offensive mind against a great defensive mind. That should be a fun one. Very obscure matchup that I'm looking forward to. Another one, and we're going to get it twice, which is just fantastic because they're in the same division, is the Buccaneers against the Saints. And I don't know how you cannot be excited about this. It's the all-time leaders, number one and two in touchdown passes in NFL history, Tom Brady and Drew Brees. There's weapons all over the field. Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Rob Gronkowski, Manuel Sanders, Elvin Kamara. 
tons of points should be put up in these games. We get to play them in a dome and in Tampa Bay in the sunshine. Should be great conditions for a bunch of points to put on the board. I think those are going to be uh, two very fun games. I will sprinkle in another dark horse game that I think has potential to be very, very good. Indianapolis and Houston when they play this year. That interests me because we got Phil Rivers in his last year as an NFL quarterback. He just signed a deal to become head coach for his, uh, his son's football team back home. So Phil Rivers is going to be, you know, playing his last season against a rival and Phil Rivers against Deshaun Watson is a matchup of great quarterbacks who really come from different eras and could not play the game differently. And I think these are going to be two close games. They're going to be gritty. This could be, you know, when we talk about final standings and who's going to win the AFC South, these could be huge deciding factors in that and whether one of these teams or Tennessee emerges as that division's champion. I'm just really fascinated by the breakdown in, in Rivers last season, especially with the weapons he has to play with in Indianapolis and the lack of weapons that Deshaun Watson has in Houston because you got to assume that by the time they're playing, Cooks and Will Fuller are already hurt. So, is it after week one that that game takes? Correct. Place? It's after week yeah. one. <laughs> so, oh, I'm give you another game, by the way, here, Curtis. And this one, I think, flew under the radar a lot in the announcement of the schedule. I haven't heard a lot of buzz about this game. But week 15 in the Superdome, Patty Mahomes comes to town. And if I'm not mistaken, this is the first matchup we've had of Mahomes versus Breeze. It's probably going to be the last if they don't play in a Super Bowl. It's probably going to be the last. So I think that's an intriguing matchup. Two of the better teams in the NFL, I think you can make the case, and I would believe it, that it's the two best teams in the NFL. You could probably convince me it's a Super Bowl preview. And, you know, the guy who is number one all-time in passing touchdowns against the guy who's going to finish number one all-time in passing touchdowns, barring a catastrophic injury. So it should be a great matchup. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and crown Patrick Mahomes as future number one all-time league leader. He's the all-time leader in passing yards, passing touchdowns. He's gonna I will bet the opposite players. because I don't, think, I don't think Patrick Mahomes is going to play till he's 40. I don't think he's going to play till he's 40. And, and based on you yeah, telling me that just now. The, he's going to break the records by the time he's 30. So you think he's going to throw 60 touchdown passes every year for the next 10 years? I don't see why not. Okay, we'll talk, about, we'll talk about this later. But Only I agree. The Hall of Famer, Patrick Mahomes. Fair enough. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes, great player. We love him. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end the discussion there because I, I have to wrap my head around Mike just – you know, giving me some tomfoolery that Patrick Mahomes should already be crowned the NFL's all-time leader in passing yards, touchdowns, and and uh, completion and percentage. Five up. Super Bowls, and he's getting five more rings. So, quick fire, just to wrap up the segment. Who do you think won and lost? What teams won the schedule release? What teams lost it, and why? Give me, give me a couple for each, Michael. Winners, Baltimore, they literally don't have to go into the Western time zone all year. I don't yeah. know how that's possible. They have one game that's not in the Eastern time zone. It's Houston. I just don't know how they got such a favorable schedule, but it's unbelievable. It's just so, the divisions, just the division breakdown this they year. They just got incredibly lucky how this worked out for them. Loser, all of the teams in the AFC East besides the Bills because they're all bad and they have to play that same schedule that the Bills are playing in terms of divisions. 
So that's a nightmare. They have brutal schedules, both of those. All yeah, of those can, teams. can we talk about that for a second? Because the Bills, I think we can agree they're the most talented roster in the AFC East. And I think that against that gauntlet of a schedule with the West Western divisions in each conference, they have the best chance to persist and to win big games in those divisions. Whereas Miami, New York, New England – I think we can chalk up W's for Kansas City. I think we can chalk up W's for Seattle. I think we can chalk up W's for the Rams, the 49ers, the Bills. I don't think those are automatic W's for the West Coast teams. Agree? You yeah. can maybe agree to disagree. Yeah. And just, just big L of the day goes to the Patriots because they play a first-place schedule this year and both those divisions, and they don't have Tom Brady anymore. They're going to get waxed all year. I don't, I don't want to hear any of these people – telling me that they're going to win seven games or all this garbage that people are trying to tell me because Bill Belichick's such a great coach. They stink. Their schedule is the toughest in the league. They have no shot. I'm just putting it on the record now, Curtis, and we're going to have an official prediction show eventually where I'll go through and pick this. They're not winning more than four games. I have them at 5-11. and 11. I have them at 5-11. and 11. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting because they still play the AFC East. I still think they can take one from I Buffalo. I think they have the least talent in the division, so I, I – can't see him winning. I mean, at best, I think they could split with all three. Okay, so the the Patriots are your loser. Who else did you have as a loser? Give me one other squad. Well, I had that entire division, and then uh, also the NFC East, who also just play absolutely brutal schedules. Oh yeah, I was looking at Phillies, and yeah, Phillies is just a nightmare, and it helps that the rest of their division is just so bad. Besides for Dallas, who's just a perpetual underperformer. Uh, but yeah, like teams like Washington and the Giants playing this schedule, or they just have no chance because they're just they're trying to develop these young quarterbacks. It's just not you know, going to happen. Had, we had those teams where they get the the perfect mix of their young quarterback really breaking out and then good schedule luck and and a down division at times. Like the Bills, the Bills last, last year. year. The, Bills the Bills last year. Last year. You know, like, look look at the Bills and the Ravens last year, right? It was a down-ish year for Tom Brady. The Bills played an easy schedule. They went 10 games. The Ravens last year, Ben Roethlisberger gets hurt. The Browns take a huge step back with Baker Mayfield. Lamar bursts onto the scene. The Bengals are a dumpster fire. Lamar bursts onto the scene. They play an easier schedule. They win 14 games or whatever happened last year. You know what I mean? So the Giants and the Redskins, that ain't happening for them. The, the, the schedule will not allow it. And for my winners, I had uh, I also had Baltimore. I had Tampa Bay, who last year had one primetime game. It was on a Thursday night against Carolina. This year they get five. The Tom Brady effect has put them on the national map, and it'll be interesting to see how that new-look roster thrives under the national spotlight. I think scheduling-wise, they, they got a good, pr- pretty good run of things, and the five primetime games obviously help. Interesting note on them, by the way. They had the fewest primetime games in the league, I believe, the last decade, I believe I saw it was. So they have not gotten the national spotlight much, and now they are tied for the most in the NFL this year. Yeah, there's, I think, eight teams that have five games, and they're one of them. I had Baltimore because of the regional scheduling, and one thing you didn't mention, they finish against the Jaguars, the Giants, and the Bengals, who went, I think, combined those teams won 10 games last year. So when it comes to Baltimore, they have a really favorable setup to, to coast into the playoffs, and, you know, Lamar Jackson – and co big trust they're gonna have a good time this year put baltimore on the board they should be in the playoffs without a problem losers of the schedule the las vegas raiders okay they got i believe four primetime games at home five overall they were another one of those teams so they they can be a winner from that perspective 
but the start to their season is at the Panthers, home to the Saints, trip to New England, home to the Bills, at the Chiefs. I could not find a harder five games to start the season than the Raiders have. For what it's worth, John Gruden and co., if they get out of that stretch two and three, like if they beat Carolina and they beat New England, they should be feeling really good. If they snag one versus the Saints, Chiefs, or the Bills, they should be feeling great. But I think the Raiders are looking at one and four out of the gate, and it could be a long year for the Las Vegas Raiders. I also had the Eagles because they have a first-place schedule based on winning the division. I don't think they have first-place talent on the roster, and it's just a gauntlet that they play. I think that's kind of a hot take, no? You just going to slip that one in there? You don't think the Eagles have first-place talent? No, I think they play in a trash division. So our our listeners at home, uh, they can at me on Twitter. I I don't think the Eagles have that good of a roster, uh, and I don't think they can stay healthy. So – at the training staff, at the roster, at the schedule. Eagles this year, 8-8, eight and eight, put it on the board. Um, wow. The New York Jets get the Bills and the 49ers out of the gate, and then they have the rest of the NFC, AFC West gauntlet to, to worry about. So I have the Jets as a loser as well. I don't know how it's going to go. Year three for Sam Darnold, year two for Adam Gase. It's going to be a tough ride. But that's about my thoughts on the uh, – the NFL schedule, do you got any closing remarks, Michael? When we do our NFL prediction for the season, we go through all of our team picks. We are going to disagree big time on the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay. Wow. I'm very surprised with where you went with that one. I got to be honest. Yeah. I mean, I, I love Carson Wentz as a quarterback, but he can't stay healthy. We're going to see, you know, and really it's, I love Carson Wentz, the quarterback when he's healthy. And I love Doug Peterson, the head coach, but last year I thought it was miraculous that they won that division with all the injuries that they had this year. And this year I can't buy that Jalen Rager is going to show up and solve their problems that Jalen Hurts is going to show up and solve their problems. Like I just can't do it. They have a bunch of aging offensive weapons. Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. And it's going to be a tough time for Philadelphia. Yeah, it, I I really disagree with you on this one. So that's that's going to be a that's going to be a hot button topic for that whenever we do discuss that later. You're allowed to disagree with me. That's the beauty of this, right? But it's just I can't envision a scenario. I'm going to pull up the Eagles' schedule right now, right? So Philadelphia absolutely got the shaft because although the Giants and Redskins aren't particularly good. I think that with their new coaches, we got Joe Judge in New York, we got uh, Ron Rivera in Washington, and with healthy rosters out of the gate, they're going to be improved because I think both of those teams were decimated by injury last year, and they had young quarterbacks who weren't in positions to succeed. So that was reflected in how poorly 2019 went for both of those franchises. So I expect them to take a step forward. And we don't have to deep dive it right now. It's just – I don't think the Eagles can finish above 500 with the schedule. I just think you're nuts. I think the Eagles are way more talented than you just gave them credit for. That was crazy. Yeah, we'll I think see. the Eagles have one of the 10 best rosters in football. Okay, but how how many games is Carson Wentz going to play this year? Carson Wentz didn't miss a game until the playoffs last year. How many games is Carson Wentz going to play this year? I think he's going to play all 16. I'll take the under on that. Put it on the board. Carson Wentz plays 15 games or less this year. 
Eagles struggle. Played all 16 last year. Like, I don't understand. We'll see it. Anyway, that about does it for the NFL schedule. And now we have the opportunity to move forward with our special guest to the Guys Like Sports podcast. Welcoming to the Guys Like Sports podcast now, our first guest on the show. Western New Yorkers will know him. He's a household name. Doesn't need much of an introduction. But we have the co-founder of the Bills Mafia and the man who runs 26 shirts, Del Reed, joining us this afternoon. How are you doing, Del? I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. I know uh, my co-host Mike got fired up when you know we we had the opportunity to bring on someone of your presence in the community so we were really excited to be doing this mike i'm gonna check in with you as well how are you feeling at this point in the show i'm feeling pretty good ready to ready to roll you know a little little different not talking about actual sports technically in this episode because there's not actual sports going on anymore like the draft but nonetheless ready to roll we're making do with what we got Absolutely. We are, you know, life finds a way here on the Guys Like Sports podcast, and that's what re- really what we're all about. So, Dell, amidst all the, the craziness we have at our disposal with the coronavirus pandemic, how are you holding up and what have you been doing to maintain sanity the past couple of weeks? Yeah, well, uh, we're holding up pretty well over here. You know, I've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time with the family as we're all pretty much, you know, on, on lockdown here. Uh, my wife's a teacher in the district, and so she she's not at uh, obviously at the the office, you know, and uh, you know, two kids in school, you know, and me owning my own business, we've been able to all stay home, you know, pretty easily. I still go in the office, you know, once a week or so, once a week or so to ship, you know, shirts that customers have and everything. We're running behind, you know, because our staff is all working from home. Sure. So it's just a one-man show in that respect. But customers have been great, very understanding. They know that there's a whole pandemic going on, so that it takes a little bit longer to get them their stuff. But they know we're good for it, you know. So absolutely, has uh, has business been good? We'll talk more about Twenty Six Shirts later on. But has business been persisting the last few weeks with people still craving uh, merchandise and content? Yeah, yeah, it has been. You know, we sent out a communication. You know, mid March when this whole you know, quarantine thing kind of took off and said, you know, we are committed to our mission to helping families. And, you know, if you're not able to purchase shirts right now, that's fine. We understand if you are able to, and you like the designs, or if you just want to give to the people that we're, you know, highlighting for those two week spots, then please continue to do so. And, you know, um, people have continued to do so, you know, to the best of their ability. So uh, that's been welcomed. Very cool. Moving forward, so big news today is that, you know, we have the NFL schedule release, we have the MLB announcing contingencies plans, so we're going to switch up a little bit and talk about sports, that's why we're here on the pod. How optimistic are you personally feeling, I know you're a big sports guy, how optimistic are you feeling about the prospect of having sports continue here in 2020? Yeah, I don't know um, what, you know, the remainder of the hockey and basketball seasons are going to look like or if we're going to have a shortened season for baseball. But, I mean, obviously we're going to have a shortened season for baseball. It should have been underway already. But um, in terms of the NFL, I mean, the NFL is such a huge operation. Unlike almost anything in this country. I mean, they're they're right up there in terms of, like, you know, Walmart or – Amazon really so if any billion dollar corporation can, corporation can find a way to get something done it's the NFL so I don't know what this season is going to look like but I'm 
as of right now, you know, May 7th, we're still four months away from the scheduled, you know, beginning of the regular season. If anybody can get it done, it's the NFL. So I'm still fairly confident at this point in time that we're going to have a full season. I just don't know what it's going to look like. You know, will stadiums be empty? Will, will they be half filled? Um, will they be full? Who know? I, I, I just, it's impossible to predict. Yeah. Mike, I know you got some thoughts here. What can you, uh, what can you share with us about yeah. your opinion here? And I think it's, uh, you make an interesting point, though, about, you know, what are the stadiums going to look like? Because I think that's an interesting thing because, you know, uh, the Miami Dolphins came out with a plan yesterday saying they were going to have fans in stadiums. And, you know, it, it feels like every state is kind of at a different point in this, you know, this thing. And so they're kind of all coming with a different approach right now and a different plan of action on how they want to approach it. So it could, it could be really strange because we could have one stadium with fans and, you know, it could be, you know, up in Buffalo, there might be no fans just based on, you know, where New York state is. And then, then Miami, there is fans and Minnesota, there is fans and in LA, there is no fans. So it's going to be really interesting. <laughs> That's true how, no matter what. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, LA, there's usually no fans in general. It's a good point. But so it's going to be interesting how, you know, each city, each state kind of approaches this whole thing on how they want to operate and, if the NFL is just going to come out with like a broader guideline on how they all should approach it. But I mean, at the end of the day, there was reports yesterday that uh, this could potentially cause a drop in the salary cap next year, anywhere between 30 and $80 million. So that, I mean, that kind of an impact, the NFL owners are going to try and avoid that because there's some, there's some big quarterback contracts coming up, you know, even a team like the bills, you know, Josh Allen, he's a couple, couple years away. But eventually that big contract's going to come, and if the salary cap drops by that much, you're going to be – that's a lot of guys you're going to have to lose on the roster. So it's going to be interesting how, how this whole thing plays out. Yeah, I think that the, they will, the NFL should have come to that, you know, um, type of circumstance. I think the NFL will work with the union, although they historically don't work well together. Um, I think that the NFL will work with the union to find some kind of contingencies to make a lot of different things possible because they all have a vested interest in right. you know the league succeeding and lasting um but to your point about some stadiums being filled and others being empty or half filled the nfl isn't like the federal government it's not the united states i i really think that um roger goodell or the governing body in the in the nfl i think that they're going to make sure that whatever procedures go on in in one stadium is going to be the thing that applies to all the stadiums i don't i don't think they're going to allow for these teams to um act autonomously one because of gate receipts well number one i think because of gate receipts I, I, but also there's also the competitive advantage so it's imagine if uh, let's take the new york state part out of it imagine if just the bills were allowed to have a home audience and they were the only team in their division that could do that, you know, or any team, I guess, really, it's just, it's, it's, there's not a competitive balance there. Yep. And it's something that the NFL would have to answer to for the entirety of the season. It would go on. People would be complaining about it. I mean, then again, they did replacement refs and didn't seem to give a rip six or seven years ago. So who knows? I, like, I don't know. I like but, to believe you know. that they would think about that, but at the same time, uh, you know, it's, it's crazy times we live in. I don't know if I uh, fully, fully trust anyone at this point to, pull things together the right way but like I said we'll we'll see how they do it you would think though it, I mean you can't have like you said it would be a huge competitive advantage especially you know a fan base like the Bills mm -hmm. it's a huge advantage when they have a crowd you know if the LA Chargers were the only team allowed to have fans no one would probably really care because there'd be like 10 but <laughs> other than that it'd be a huge advantage for most of the teams so they would definitely have to come up with a way to you know 
legislate that throughout the league and make sure it all runs smoothly. And I, I got to be honest, and we talked about this, me, me and Curtis talked about this, and I think Roger Goodell, for the most part, has done a really good job during this whole fiasco. And normally he's he's not great at his job, but uh, throughout the whole draft process and now this idea with the scheduling, because I've been talking about, you know, they're going to release the schedule, but if they start, if they kind of break it up into these phases where you have a couple different spots where you could start it and still have a fair schedule, I think that's really smart on their part. So I think they've done a, a good job through this whole process. Yeah. And I think what fascinates me most about the prospect of sports here in 2020 is collegiate athletics because we had an NCAA conference commissioner go on record within the last 48 hours as saying uh, we conferences should not require all of the teams to play based on the circumstances surrounding each team's location. So the argument was that 80% of a conference shouldn't be punished for 20% of a conference not being able to participate. So we could be looking at an NCAA football schedule where the ACC is just existing without Syracuse. I mean, that's what, that's what I garnered from that. And to me, that's kind of outrageous, but it's also really fascinating just to think about how the NCAA There's is no going to. way that's going to work. Though. Oh, it, logistically, like, because, no. Because the way the schedules are set, the schedules in college football are set like 10 years in yeah. advance. So yeah. it would just be a whole nightmare, especially if, you know, it's great ACC. You know, let's say everyone plays with Syracuse. That's one thing. What happens if the entire Pac-12 shuts down? Yeah. You know, how, there's there's just no way, unless you have everyone playing, there's no logistical way to balance it all out with the scheduling, make sure everyone has the right amount of games, and make sure it's all still competitive. Yeah, it just doesn't check out. Yeah, the NCAA is also different than the NFL too, though. I mean, there's a lot of different fiefdoms that are going on there within it, you know. Um, so I, I can understand where that perspective comes from. But, yeah, the logistics part is, is a – going to be a difficult thing to navigate for sure for the sake of time i think we're gonna press on and press forward but definitely a fascinating thing to keep in mind as we move forward in 2020 and leagues try to take shape uh let's talk a little bit local here Dell. so the pagulas came in, in the last decade they've they're the owners of the sabers subsequently bought the bills uh outbid donald trump fun times in the nfl Dell, you've been a Western New Yorker slash Bills fan for your entire life. What kind? What can you tell me about how different the atmosphere has been with the Pagulas and having them in place, and how the Bills and the Sabers are positively impacting the community right now? Yeah, I'll start with the second part first. I think that especially um, the Sabers. I mean, in just in terms of the community, you know, I, I think that you know having those games. You know, downtown obviously has a great effect on the local business and everything. And just the Pagula's presence downtown and what they've built with Harbor Center, you know, 716, Labatt House, all of that. I think that that helps draw people down downtown more. You know, when I was growing up, that wasn't always a place where you would go to hang out ever. A little older than you guys, but um, you never went downtown for any reason. So um, I think that they've helped, you know, just in terms of like the downtown district and, you know, the past 20 years with, you know, like how Chippewa has grown and, and everything. Uh, I think they've helped kind of like boost that more in terms of what they've done in the city. I think that's to their credit. You know, a lot of money has been poured into downtown. Sure. And then in terms of like how, how the bills have positively affected the community, the bills have always positively affected the community. I mean, the community runs on the bills. So I'm, gl- I'm really glad the team is going to be kept here 
into perpetuity, it looks like. So that's great. That was a concern back in 2014 when Ralph Wilson passed. A lot can be said to um, the Pagula's credit, you know, for having purchased both teams and keeping both teams, you know, in Western New York. Yeah, and honestly, like, I think it's a, it's a great thing that happened for this community, and I think it's a great thing for both of those leagues because this is a, a great market for both those sports. These are great fan bases. Uh, for the Bills of the Sabres. You know, the Sabres, uh, they, they pack that building up there, and quite frankly, they stink, and they've, they've stunk for a while. And so, I mean, to that, that's just a, a good market for the league, I think, in my opinion. I think moving them definitely would have uh, – they would have looked back and realized it was a mistake, kind of like, you know, we're just going to keep making fun of the LA Chargers in this episode. But, you know, <laughs> San Diego, they, they they had a good fan base there in San Diego, and they, they moved to LA, and I think they're – quickly come to realize that was probably not the uh, wisest decision for them because they, they can't get anybody to show up to their games. I think, you know, moving the Bills or Sabres from Buffalo, I think that would have been a, a similar impact because, you know, these fan bases are going to show up for these teams no matter what. And so keeping them here, positive impact for the community, but I also think positive impact on for both those leagues. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the Stanley Cup ratings every year and it's always the two teams participating and the number three is Buffalo in terms of viewership. And I think this past year with the, with the NFL season, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the Bills-Cowboys Thanksgiving game was the highest-rated NFL game this past season aside from the Super Bowl. If I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read that. I will, I will fact-check yeah, you sure right now. Right yeah, fact-check me. Let me, you know, let me know. But, yeah, I mean, like you said, the, the, they packed the stadiums and they watched. The Stanley Cup thing is fascinating because the Sabres, like I said, they've, it's been a while since, you know, it was my, my childhood was the last time I can remember the Sabres really being – uh, competitive and you know making postseason pushes and you know every year you know Buffalo fans turn into the Stanley Cup and they they watch those games and as large numbers you know there's some years where they they do better ratings than one of the teams in the finals which is just it is unreal to think about but uh, that's just the kind of fans that Buffalo has yeah Buffalo is a hockey town you know it, it's a football it's a sports town I guess but like Western New York is ravenous for the NFL and the NHL and to, to remove uh, the either one of those teams from Western New York, like you said, would have been a disservice, not only to the fans, but to the leagues themselves. Yep. So what I'm seeing is that Packers Cowboys in October was the highest uh, rating that any singular game got outside of the Super Bowl um, in the Bills Cowboys Outside of the playoffs, I should say, excuse me. The Bills-Cowboys actually fell second on the rating scale in the Chiefs-New England game came in third in week 14. So, okay, so yeah. one off. one off. <laughs> yeah, it was close, though. And, and it was the, the highest-rated Thanksgiving game uh, of the last decade. So, really, the Bills, whenever they get primetime games over the last 15 years, really since the Dallas Bills game in 2007, that was – let's not talk about it. They reared that on Monday Night Football a couple a couple of weeks ago. But uh, really, ever since that game, whenever the Bills are on primetime, people watch, and the, qu- the quality of the game is generally very good. You think about the, the Bills, even when they weren't good, playing the Cowboys in 07. Uh, recently, they played the Patriots on Monday night. That was, what, four or five years ago, 2015-ish, 2014-ish. And they that was a hell of a game. It came down to Sammy Watkins not getting uh, a call in bounds inside of two minutes. And, you know, there was a lot of Twitter ramifications about that in the NFL referees and the New England Patriots. But the Bills generally 
and, and the Sabres both generally getting really good audiences when they're on the screen and Buffalo is a big part of that. Like you got something to chime in or is your yeah, hand just... um, I think it's going to be, it's, it's going to be unfortunate this year if we can't have fans in stadiums, because I think just based on what happened last season and the direction the bills are trending, it, it really looked like they were going to get multiple primetime games this year. And they were probably going to get a couple of them at home. So it, it is really going to be unfortunate if we can't have fans in the stadium. Cause I think that would have been uh, just a really cause, cause they haven't gotten a lot of primetime games in recent years. So I think it just would have been a really uh, cool, unique, and fun experience for Bills fans to, to have multiple primetime games and really be one of the – I almost want to say one of the marquee teams this year is, is really the Bills. They're on a lot of people's radar. And I, I even me, as a, I live in this area, but I'm not a Bills fan, so I'm kind of outside of the, the Bills fan bubble there. But even me, I look at them and I, I see a legitimate Super Bowl contender when I look at that team. So it's one of those things where – they're going to get a bunch of primetime games probably, and it's it's going to be unfortunate if we can't have fans at them. I think that's a good segue into our next talking point. Dell, what offseason move has you most excited for the Buffalo Bills in 2020, with the caveat that we have football? Uh, this is a loaded question, right? I mean, it's like yeah. an obvious one is Stefan Diggs, right? I mean, they, immediately following that playoff game in Houston, it was so obvious that the number one need that the team had was an upgrade at wide receiver. You know, um, just the fact that they were throwing to Patrick DeMarco, no defense, no, no offense to Patrick DeMarco, but like throwing to a fullback down deep at the end of the game. And then, you know, you know, Duke Williams had a, had a couple drops and everything. It was just, they needed a premier, you know, elite number one receiver to really put this offense kind of over the hump and they got it. And so that's exciting to me. It's exciting to probably any, any Bills fan who's paying attention this off season. And I think it really is going to, um, help them out, you know. And then you look at the, the the additions they had on the defensive line, you know, with with Butler and Addison, and obviously the Epine- the Epinesa pick, how he fell to them in the second round. It's been a great off season for the Buffalo Bills. Mike, what are your thoughts here? Is the uh, the quote unquote objective voice in the room, who's not, you know, a little Bills crazy, like two or three, two out of three of us here are. Yeah, well, unfortunately, I can't really be objective on Stephon Diggs since he did play for the <laughs> Vikings for uh, a few years there, his entire NFL career. But uh, listen, I'm definitely going to miss Stephon Diggs as a as a Viking fan. He he is a one of the premier receivers in the league. And what I always tell people about Stephon Diggs is he's not truly, truly elite in one area. You know, it's not like Tyreek Hill who has elite speed, or you know, Julio Jones is going to go up and make elite, you know, contested catches like that. Stephon Diggs is really, really good at everything. He, he has really good speed. He's really good at going up and making plays. He's a really good route runner. He's, he's just good at any area that you can ask a receiver to go play football for you. So, I mean, he's going to come in and help Josh Allen immensely, I think. And uh, as a guy who's not the biggest on Josh Allen, but Stephon Diggs is definitely going to come in and help him out. And uh, the numbers will improve most definitely with Diggs in the fold and he's also just going to help out, you know, the other guys around him, you know, it's going to open up looks for the John Browns and the Cole Beasley's coming out of the slot and things like that. So uh, it should, should, it, it seems like a, a easy win for the bills in terms of number one need. You fill it with about as good as options you could have found on the open market. Except DeAndre Hopkins. Apparently he was well, available for cheap, but I, I don't know <laughs> if he was on the open market or Bill O'Brien just really likes David Johnson. We'll never know. 
we might never know, but I, I definitely agree. I think that Stefan Diggs right now, he might not be an elite receiver. I don't, I don't know if I put him in the category of Hopkins, Julio Jones, uh, AB, if he ever sees the field again, I think he's still in his prime, but he's definitely in that next echelon of guys. And you think somebody like, you know, Kenny Galladay, I would put on the same plane, you know, as far as a guy who's very, very good, but not quite elite, that it's what it reminds me of. Adam Thielen, Kenny Galladay. So here's my thing. So when I say Dig isn't like elite, he's not elite in one one area. He's really good in multiple areas, I guess is how I explained it. But I do think he is in, in terms of just pure talent. I believe he's as good as any receiver you're going to find in the league. I genuinely do. And it stinks that he's not a Viking anymore. But he – he didn't get the volume that he wanted in Minnesota. And if he goes to Buffalo and he gets that consistent number one receiver volume, because if you look at his targets by year, he, he was not getting a ton of targets. It's just not the way the Vikings offense was built. If he goes to Buffalo and he gets John Brown targets from last year, plus 10, the guy's going to have a monster year. He's going to be in the top five in all of the receiving categories, I think, honestly, because I think he is that talented. It's just a matter of, getting that volume and keeping them happy. And I think if you give them volume, that's probably going to keep them happy. Yeah. And I think a uh, last component of the Stefan Diggs puzzle is ensuring that he stays healthy. And to my credit, I went on uh, during the NFL draft recap that we had, and I said the, the Bills training staff last year was phenomenal because they were. I mean, think about how few guys they had on the IR. There were – you go from through the top 12, 15 – players on the Bills roster, they all stayed very, very healthy. And that includes someone like John Brown, who prior to last year had a pretty lengthy injury history in Arizona and Baltimore. So if Stefan Diggs can stay healthy, he's not a guy who's missed a lot of games, but he has played hurt often and his play definitely he suffers. All the time. And and his, it's going to drive you nuts, by the way, because he's going to get banged up. He's going to go out and play hurt and you're going to think he's fine, he's going to finish with one catch for six yards, and you're just going to wonder what happened. But yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen at least twice this year because it does every year. There's, there's yeah. no way it doesn't. But he's going to turn around like the next game when he's healthy and have like nine for 133 in a touchdown. You're going to be thrilled. Love that for Stephon Diggs. Fantasy owners listening, Stephon Diggs, possible wide receiver one in 2020 if we have football. Let's switch up a little bit. So something a little more somber that came out of the NFL draft was – over the past couple of years, the Bills have had a special presenter of a pick, whether it was Harrison Phillips at Oliver last year, Ezra Castro, known as Pancho Billa in the Buffalo Bills community and fan lore. He passed away last year on May 14th, and we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of his passing. And in having Dell here, I know that they had a relationship. I just wanted to talk a little bit about who Ezra was and the impact that Pancho Billa had on the fan base, the Bills Mafia, and in the community. And I think, as we saw in the draft, as he announced that Oliver last year, really the entire NFL community, the entire NFL fan base, what impact this guy had. So, Dell, if you want to tell us a little bit about your relationship with Poncho and, uh, and just reflect on him a little bit. Yeah, yeah, Ezra was a great guy. He, he when he was in town, he would come to visit me sometime at the office of Twitter Shirts and, uh, that was always, that was always uh, nice, and you know, tailgating with him before a game or two over the past several years here and there it was has been that was a great experience, and we used to chat on the phone sometimes. Like sometimes he would just randomly call, 
like just not even the football season, just call like, hey, what do you think about the Bills? I don't, maybe he did that with everybody, which is, you know, I'm not saying I'm special in that respect. But he was, he was just a great guy, great to talk to, always positive. I think that's why um, he became like so, you know, uh, beloved among his fellow fans was just that the guy, when he put on that mask, like he quote unquote became Pancho Bella, but he was, he was always Pancho Bella. He was always that positive guy, no matter what was going on, whether, you know, it was a game day or he was wearing his mask or he was just living his life. He was always that guy. And he was, he was special. You know, I had the opportunity to develop a little bit of a relationship with him over the couple years before his passing. And, you know, in turn, you know, his girlfriend, uh, Ronnie, and, um, you know, and I, and I told him before he passed away and I told, I've told her since like, you know, your family will always be, I'll always be here to help out your family. However you need it, you know, any kind of any, anything I can ever help with, I'm always here for you guys, you know, and he was great. He was a great dude. And, you know, I, I, I miss him being a part of Bill's mafia and being a part, being the face of the fans, you know, really just, he's a great guy and he's, you know, we miss him. Yeah, and having met him a couple times just in passing, he was – every person he came into contact – this might be with a caveat that you're a Bills fan, but every person, he was just so excited to to meet you and to know you. And he cared about everything, you know. he One of the first interactions I had with him was at Pinto Tailgate a few years ago. I can't remember if it was for a Bengals or a Dolphins game, but he came came down to the tailgate, you know, full gear. He had the sombrero, he had the mask, and – he was all fired up, and this was, I, I think it was before he was diagnosed with, with cancer, but he was just so alive, and he, he thrived on being around people, and he thrived on the Buffalo Bills, and he thrived on the community, and, and in talking to him, it was, you know, hey, you know, I love the, love the gear, and he's like, you know, what's your name? Like, tell me about yourself. Like, instantly wanting to get to know me, not just talking about the Bills, but then also, you know, what's going to happen out there today? Are we going to be Cincy by 40? Like, what are we doing with this? You know, he's just, he was so high energy all the time. And it was definitely somber not having him around this year to, to make a pick for the bills to, to be one of the faces of the mafia, because we have super fans like, like Ezra, Pancho Bella, and like Pinto Ron with the ketchup and mustard. And, and quite frankly, like yourself, Dal, if you don't want to, put yourself in that echelon that's okay I know you're a humble guy but I think that it's definitely just a, a big loss for the Bills community and coming up on a year I think it's just important that we you know remember him and thank him for for everything he was able to bring to the Buffalo Bills fan base and organization hey he's a great guy he's a great guy you know and definitely left his mark you know which is something that I think we all want to do right you know we all want to be remembered for the positives and you know, make a difference while we're here. And he really, he was that guy. He showed how, how it can be done. Caring about other people, listening to them when they speak, you know, really showing an interest and being genuine. Um, that was, that was his trademark. Absolutely. Uh, Mike, do you ever have the, the pleasure of meeting Padre Bella? Uh I can't say I did, no. So I'm very much an outside observer on this one for sure. Uh, and just as an outside observer, you know, you could, you can just tell, uh, just from you know videos that you've seen or seeing him at the NFL draft, that he was he was a genuine person. Like you guys said, you know he really cared about you know anyone he interacted with and just about the you know that Bills community. So uh, I think you know Dell said you know they miss him as the face of the Bills mafia, but I think 
uh, he kind of always will be that face of the Bills Mafia in, in general. Absolutely. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Uh, tough to close on this this segment, but uh, Ezra, we definitely we miss you, and we hope that you know if you're if you're up there and having your you're watching a Bills game and you you got a good beverage in hand, let's uh, let's move forward and let's talk about Dell a little bit and what he's got going on right now with 26 shirts. So Dell, if you could just kind of give us a synopsis for listeners who might not be familiar about what the business is, what your mission is, how you guys give back, and uh, kind of what promotions you have moving forward that you'd like to get out into the world and make people aware of, and what, what's got you excited about 26 Shirts? Yeah, so thank you. So when the Bills Mafia thing took off in 2011, I found myself with this rapidly expanding audience on social media and I always joke that maybe I've seen too many Spider-Man movies, but I always think about how Uncle Ben told Peter, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. So I always kind of translated that into, uh, with a big audience comes great responsibility. So um, since the outset, I've tried to use, you know, any kind of social media influence, I guess, for lack of a better word, uh, that I might have into encouraging people to give back to their community, to take care of each other, you know, and, you know, just recognize that, you know, there's something bigger than themselves. And, you know, so as the Bill's Mafia movement gained steam, I had, I found more and more opportunities to do different kinds of fundraising. And we did, we would do like special tailgates that would give to a, a specific cause and stuff like that. And then um, in 2013, I had this idea to start selling t-shirts and giving a portion of the proceeds to, you know, families in need. Basically as much as we could afford to give, we would give. And it was just a, you know, it was going to be a one-year project, just something to, I'm a big t-shirt honk, for lack of a better term, you know, um, and, and so I've always got too many in my drawers. So that, for me, that was like a natural fit, you know, in terms of how, what can I do to, to give back? Well, I, I, you know, I took the one thing, it was like almost like Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, chocolate and peanut butter, two things I love, you know, uh, Buffalo and its teams and t-shirts. And so I put those two together and they give back, you know, and it became quickly apparent, you know, after we launched in 2013, that this would be, this could be more than just a, a one year project, just the, the demand for the shirts and, you know, the amount of people that were asking for help, you know, both seemed kind of limitless. Um, and, and so, you know, we decided to renew it for another year and we even tried a different city with Chicago and stuff. And, um, when I got laid off from my job in 2015, the timing was so perfect because the 26 shirts um, project, which is all it was ever meant to be, I didn't start it for any other reason. It had gained enough steam at that point where we thought, well, maybe it could actually support me full time instead of going back to the grind and, you know, posting for another job. So, you know, with my wife's blessing and with her behind me, because we're a team, right? Um, we decided to give it a try. And, you know, the, the thought was like, we try it for a year and it becomes apparent after a year or sooner, you know, cause how money works, you know, that it wasn't going to be something we could do full time. Then, you know, I'd give it up and I'd go back to, you know, uh, what I used to do, which I was a web developer. So uh, within six months of doing this full time, we had to hire somebody cause the work was becoming so, so much of it. So um, it's really just continued to, to grow and grow. And, you know, now we have, uh, three employees 
and uh, besides myself and Dan, my, the guy I co-own it with. And uh, the, we just continue to do what we can to help. And just a couple of weeks ago, um, we passed $750,000 that we managed to donate, you know, over uh, this, you know, 26 church lifetime. And so we get, I always say that we get a lot of credit for other people's generosity. We can put all the different designs you can think of out there on the internet, but if people don't believe in what we're doing, if they don't like the shirts, then uh, it doesn't go anywhere. So really, this is a, a real community endeavor that I'm just blessed that I have the opportunity to, you know, um, lead, you know. So uh, just super grateful, you know, I really feel, not to get too spiritual or anything, that, you know, God kind of arranged this so perfectly. I just look back over the whole timeline of how everything fell into place at the exact right times. And so I got to, you know, give thanks to God for that. But like, really, it's just a cool opportunity that I'm enjoying being able to do and getting to meet lots of people in the process and like Ezra and like you guys and, and stuff like that. Um, and, and so I'm super grateful that, you know, like I said, everybody believes in it and they continue to buy the shirts and give, you know? And so uh, in terms of what we have coming up, we just have a lot more great designs already in the queue, ready to go. You know, and, you know, and as, as the weeks go by, we'll continue to re release them and continue to help the families that we're trying to help. And hopefully there'll be some more fun curveballs that uh, get thrown our way, like, you know, Buffalo trading for Stefan Diggs, you know, so we came up with a shirt real quick, a special edition for that. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what we got going on. Uh, that's, that's really cool. And just kind of, uh, the, I'll be honest, this is our lead up to this podcast is my first discovery of uh, 26 shirts, because I, I don't live in Buffalo, I live in Batavia. So, uh, but just seeing what you guys have been able to do and the amount of money you've been able to raise is just uh, amazing. You know, how you guys have been able to give back and just the whole, the whole kind of process of it all and the story of it all is uh, unbelievable. So it's a great thing you guys are doing. Oh, thanks. And like I said, it's, um, was not, never a plan. It was never part of the, uh, right. he never, it was, uh, that wasn't planned. It just kind of all fell into place. And, I, like I said, just to reiterate one more time, I'm super grateful for everybody that continues to believe in it and buy the shirts and, and give um, because I could not do this by myself. I, I can't speak for Mike. I'll, I'll speak for myself. You definitely, I've yet to order anything from 26 shirts. That's going to be changing this upcoming week because I've dumped a lot of money into signed Antonio Gates and Edger and James jerseys. So I feel like now is a good time to, to dump some money into things that are actually doing good. And I think that Dell is is somebody who is really helping out the community, does great work. And, you know, it's been a pleasure to have you. If you don't already do so, follow Dell on Twitter. He's at Del Reed, D-E-L-R-E-I-D. -E and you can follow at 26shirts on Twitter as well. It's at 26shirts, spelled just like it sounds. Really, Dell, we appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time to to be with us today and, and share share some insight on all sorts of things really i think uh we've all gotten quite a bit out of this and i appreciate you really beyond words well i appreciate you like i said i appreciate you inviting me onto this and um always looking forward to talking to new people seeing new faces now with zoom and how prevalent it is um so thank you for the invite yeah absolutely and uh that's gonna do it for our time with del reed we appreciate you all tuning in as always Give us a follow on Twitter if you do not do so already. That is at guyslikesports underscore. Follow us on Instagram. That is at guyslikesports. And that is going to do it for us.
in episode five. And uh, thanks for tuning in. For my co-host, Michael Rose, I'm Curtis Henry, and we're out.